Good afternoon and welcome once again to the ICEJ weekly webinar. I'm David Parsons. I am one of the vice presidents and senior spokesmen here at the Christian Embassy coming to you from our Jerusalem headquarters. Thank you for joining us again for this weekly look at Israel, the Bible, uh, current affairs, so many other topics. We have a Bible teaching this week that we're going to bring you on why we at the Christian Embassy reach out to Israel's Arab community with social projects and just extending a, a hand of peace uh, and reconciliation to them. And uh, this topic uh, is important, and it came up, uh, it comes up from time to time. We get asked, you know, why does the Christian Embassy engage in social aid projects directed towards uh, Israel's Arab community, the Arab minority here? And uh, it came up recently in the context that uh, we reported on a project we were doing out among uh, some young Arabs that were interested in getting into Israel's high-tech industry. And of course, Israel has this booming uh, high-tech industry that is bringing in tens of billions of investment uh, every year, all the new startups uh, and everything. Uh, and yet uh, only 3% of the employees involved in high-tech are Arab. Uh, when the Arab community in Israel is around 20% of the population. So it's a very fall, small percent that really isn't getting to benefit from this boom in Israel's economy from uh, all the entrepreneurial spirit and the high tech here. And so we have been sponsoring a special computer programming course, a coding course, teaching uh, computer coding to young Arabs who show potential and promise in these areas. Some of them are the you know, best in their high school or best in their area or region at, at some of these skills, but for various reasons, uh, they, their Hebrew might not be as good as some of the Jewish uh, students. Uh, the, they might not have the uh, finances in their family, they're poor to, to afford the sort of extra schooling you need to get a job in the high tech industry. So we're sponsoring a special course, and it was actually Israelis who came to us to, to say, can you, it was Israeli Jews who came to us uh, in part, some of them, that uh, ask us, can you help support this? So we've been uh, helping uh, Arabs get through, young Arabs, promising Arabs get through this computer coding course, and it's really changing their lives, opening new doors for them. They're getting placement in good jobs. Uh, their whole families are benefiting. And uh, But it was in the context of reporting on this that uh, someone asked us, you know, why are you helping the Arabs? And I think, uh, especially among the pro-Israel Christian community around the world, sometimes uh, we see, you know, we see a lot of reporting on Arabs who hate Israel, hate the Jewish people uh, and such, and you wind up uh, thinking that maybe all Arabs are bad, they all hate Israel, and that's not the case. And I, I know years ago, you know, you 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 might have uh, I might have been prone to thinking, you know, when troubles get bad and there's terrorism, whatever, you start thinking all Arabs are terrorists, and that's a mistake on our part to think that. 
And Israel does have this uh, minority of 20% of the population are either they're Arab uh, Muslims, Christian, Druze, Bedouin. Uh, so it's a substantial minority here, and Israel, as a democracy, has to uh, treat them fairly. And these are Arabs who have accepted the existence of Israel as a Jewish state, and they actually want to live here. They want to be a part of it. There are many who volunteer for the army. They're not drafted into the army. Not, um, you know, it's not mandatory that they're forced to serve in the army. Uh, many opt for national, a year of national service, but there are uh, an increasing number of Arabs who are uh, volunteering to serve in the Israeli army uh, in order to defend the country that they live in and that is helping them so much. So we really want to also be a source of reconciliation and, and uh, to encourage coexistence just because Israel doesn't need, a, if they have some enemies outside, they don't need a, a lot of enemies inside the country who are hostile, and we need to try and help them uh, bring as much peace and calm in society overall you know, here in Israel as we can. These are things that we've learned here over 40-some years of ministry here in the land. Now, it is true that the International Christian Embassy Jerusalem was founded in, in 1980 uh, with a clear biblical mandate from Scripture, from Isaiah uh, 40, verses 1 and 2, to uh, comfort you, comfort you, my people. We were founded with uh, a mission, a calling to be a ministry of comfort to Israel and the Jewish people, especially in light of all the past wrongs done by Christians against the Jewish people, especially in, in um, among the established churches of Europe for centuries. A lot of uh, wounds in, uh, inflicted in the name of Jesus, and we are a ministry that wants to try and do something about it and heal those wounds. And we've been faithfully carrying out that mission uh, ever since for over four decades now. But we also have reasons, I'd say even compelling reasons, for reaching out to the Israeli Arab community, whether Muslim, Christian, Bedouin, uh, Druze. And these are both biblical and very practical societal reasons uh, to, um, to, to reach out to, uh, to the Arab people. And I, I want to start this whole uh, presentation by giving a little testimony myself that I knew from a young age, uh, from the time I was 12 or so, 13, that I had a very clear, unmistakable calling to Israel. I didn't fully understand it, but that I knew God had something in my life that had to do with Israel, and that if I did not pursue it at some time, I would really miss his calling over my life, and I, I would regret it. So I had that clear sense from an early age, my early teens. Uh, and of course, as I tried to pursue it as I'm walking with the Lord, my first um, couple trips to Israel, uh, I, I came here first in 1982 on a tour in the spring. And I turned right around, uh, um, uh, excuse me, I came in 1982 in the fall, in October, on a tour, and I turned around the next spring, 1983, and was on a, a, a tour, and then stayed behind with my mother, and we stayed here 
for two months just to get to know the land. And it was my first uh, visits to the land of Israel. I knew God had a calling over me to Israel and the Jewish people. I didn't fully understand. Even then, I had finished uh, undergrad um, studies. I'd gotten a, a Bachelor of uh, Arts in History at Wake Forest University, and I was sitting out, taking a, a gap year or two before I felt to go back to law school, and I felt it was time to come and meet my client, to come and meet this Israel that, that somehow God wanted me to do something in my life to help and, and serve this nation. And it was quite interesting from that time, 1982, 83, I came back, I think in 89, 90, 91, uh, I finally started coming to the feast and and uh, which was run by the Christian embassy. I started working for a pro-Israel Christian ministry in 1991. But for those first uh, seven or eight, almost 10 years of contact with the land, uh, most of my early contacts were with uh, Arabs in East Jerusalem in 1983 when, when I came on a tour and the tour left, went back home after 10 days or so, two weeks. Um, I stayed with my mother, and we had two months living in Sheikh Jarrah, north of the old city of Jerusalem, and then over on the Mount of Olives. And I saw uh, in incredible ways uh, there seemed to be a more open heaven in ministering in those days before a lot of things got politicized here. Um, and uh, we were free to, we went to the Western Wall every morning to start out our day praying. We really had no agenda or whatever, whatever the Lord uh, would have us do. And most of the time, we were out among the Arabs ministering, looking for opportunities to minister, and God did incredible things. There were healings. One young boy in uh, Bethlehem uh, was in his hospital bed, and we prayed. Uh, we're praying with his mother for him, and God healed him. Why Jesus walked into his hospital room and healed him from cancer. And uh, when I met this boy later, and you know, saw he he was healed. He was actually young and handsome, about my age, and healthy, young, uh, handsome Arab boy. And I just felt the love of God for him, and he started to you know, as we're talking, and he was very excited, you're the ones who prayed for me, Jesus visited me. I think they were from a traditional Catholic background, the family he was in, uh, but then all of a sudden he starts to light up a cigarette, and I said, wait, 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 that cancer that God freed you from, uh, it's going to come right back on you, you need to put out that cigarette, and we prayed for him again, laid hands on him, and the spirit of nicotine came out, you could actually smell this thing, it was very, very strong, and then it just dissipated, uh, but God delivered him, and we we saw, uh, you know, in so many ways, the Lord moving in the lives of Arabs we were touching. I, I remember one uh, young boy, when we stayed up on the Mount of Olives, he was, um, I'd say, accident prone. He, like, added this spirit about him that would just throw him down in the weirdest situations, and it, it was just unnatural, and everyone on the Mount of Olives, all the Arabs who live up there, especially the young kids, they made fun of him, and, uh, you know, he he was uh, this little boy that just was always getting into accidents, 
and we, you know, we saw him laughing at him one day. It tripped over something there in the little park on in Atur, the town on top of the Mount of Olives. And and I said, do y'all stop that? And I went over and I, I laid hands on him and I prayed for him. And, there, you know, before that, there was this really, um, no other way to describe it, he had a dumb look on his face, you know, the, like he just wasn't aware of his surroundings. And all of a sudden, his eyes were wide, wide open. He perceived everything. I don't know if it was a problem with his eyesight or whatever it was. This spirit had lifted off of him. And you could actually see it in the way he walked and carried himself. And everyone's watching him for the next half hour and the next half hour and the next day. And within two or three days, everyone saw this boy had been changed. And from then on, uh, when my mother and I were walking in the neighborhoods, everyone cleared a path because these were the these Westerners, these Christians from America who had come and prayed for that little boy that everyone on the Mount of Olives knew had these troubles. He had some sort of troubling spirit and he had been delivered. And they uh, sort of made way for us and honored us uh, for the rest of the month or so we were living up there because we had prayed for that boy and God had changed his life and delivered him. And because of all these experiences, I have been able to pursue this very strong and clear calling on my life to be an advocate for Israel, while also knowing I have seen from an early age and for those first eight to 10 years of contact with the land of Israel, called to serve Israel, the Jewish people, but I saw the love of God for the Arab people. And I cannot forget it. And I cannot deny it. And therefore, I've had something that's helped me guard my heart towards the Arab people that, you know, if you ask me why we serve the Arabs, I say, well, why not? Why do you question it? Uh, But it's because I had those unique experiences that God raised me up to be an advocate for Israel, even in Washington, among members of Congress here in Jerusalem, for over 25 years now, but showed me first his love for the Arab people, and it's left a lasting impact on my life. And I can say if we, you know, talk about the biblical reasons that all of us as Christians who love Israel, that uh, reasons we should share of why we, at least, you know, have to uh, treat the Arabs as well fairly, First of all, we, we know that God loves all men. He loves all humans, no matter their ethnic background. And in fact, when God first called Abraham into a special covenant relationship with him and birthed the nation, the people of Israel, he was uh, very clear uh, about why he was doing this. It was in order to bless all the families of the earth. Abraham, I'm going to multiply you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. Uh, Kings shall come from you, and I'll bless him who curse you and curse him who curses you. Uh, This is Genesis 12, 1 through 3, and it says, and through you I will bless all the families of 
the earth. And so I've seen, you know, this, this love of God for the Arabs, j- just like for the Jews. Jesus died for the Arabs as well. And in fact, uh, you know, the Arabs claim this identity that they too are natural descendants of Abraham. And there is this thing of uh, Ishmael, and then, uh, you know, the sort of rivalry with Isaac, and then Jacob and Esau is sort of rivalry. There has been this sort of historic rivalry between the Jewish people and these other sons of Abraham, natural sons of Abraham. But the Bible says it ends in a good place, and we'll look at that as well. And we need to also realize that uh, a lot of these Arabs do, they are descended from Abraham in the flesh, and we should uh, love them and respect them, even as we love and respect the Jewish people as well. And I think uh, when we get into other biblical reasons, a lot of this is stuff that when we read the law of Moses, it's a lot of thou shalt nots and thou shalt nots, but there is an affirmative command in the law of Moses to the Jewish people that you especially uh, encounter this and come to know it and understand it, appreciate it, living here in the land of Israel, that God commanded the Israelites in the wilderness to be kind to the strangers in the land where he was sending them, the land of promise, the land of Canaan, uh, because you were once strangers in the land of Egypt. They, it says you cannot mistreat them, you cannot oppress them, but you need to be kind to these strangers. This is Exodus chapter 22, verse 21. You'll find it in Exodus 23, verse 9. Uh, and in fact, in Leviticus 19, verses 33 and 34, you'll find that it's, it's not only this positive command uh, to be kind to them, it says you have to love them. It also says it in Deuteronomy 10, verse 19. Don't oppress them, be kind to them, and even love them. And of course, when, you know, the question is, who are the strangers? I mean, they came in, we're told to uh, don't take on the gods of these people, drive them out, whatever. There were hostile peoples, but those who had accepted uh, uh, Israel and the Jewish people here, they needed to be kind to them. And you even see the stories of, of say, um, uh, Uriah the Hittite, uh, who, you know, his family had lived in, in the city of Jebus, what we consider Jerusalem today, the old walled city of David below the Temple Mount today, that uh, he was a Hittite. He was one of the Canaanite peoples who had accepted Israel and the Jewish people and became uh, a servant of King David and and a mighty warrior for him before David stole his wife Bathsheba. But you have many, many examples of of those who were strangers to the household of Israel, to the Israelite people, the 12 tribes, outside those tribes, who sort of joined themselves with Israel, accepted uh, the Jewish people and their right to the land, but said, we want to dwell among you. And there's a positive command in the law of Moses to be kind to them and even to love them and not to oppress them. And many Jews today uh, 
take this um, as uh, these biblical standards in the laws of Moses as guidelines for how they should treat the Arab minority uh, in their country. It's just not, you know, democratic principles and such, but it's it's a matter of, of uh, you know, obeying what the law of Moses said, how you should treat the Arabs in the land. This is why sometimes it's Israeli Jews coming to us and saying, can you help us fund this project or that project out among the Arab people? Because we want to help them uh, so that they can enjoy the fruits and prosperity that Israel is enjoying. And so we're always looking for ways to encourage reconciliation, harmony, goodwill between Jews and Arabs here in Israel. And uh, of course, it's hard not to ignore in this context, the parable of Jesus, uh, told by Jesus of the Good Samaritan. Now, it came up in the context of Jesus being asked, you know, how do you uh, fulfill the law of Moses? They used to have this challenge that you had to sort of sum up the law of Moses while standing on one foot. You can only do it for a few minutes. So how do you take these five books of Moses and sum up, you know, your duties, your obligations to the Lord, your moral responsibilities and all. Uh, how do you sum it up very quickly? And of course, the answer is that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the question then came, Jesus answered this, you know, in the affirmative, it was nothing unusual or radical. It was standard rabbinic Judaism of that day. Uh, but then someone asked, well, who is my neighbor? If I have to love my neighbor as myself, he's asking, really, is this just my Jewish neighbors? Uh, you know, and it's a little easier to just love, you know, your own people. Uh, but is that it? And Jesus then tells the good the story, the parable of the Good Samaritan, who was a Samaritan. They were a rival people. They had a rival claim to the place of worship up on Mount Gerizim near biblical Shechem, today's Nablus, that this is where the northern kingdoms of Israel had said, this is where you come to worship rather than Jerusalem. And they had a different identity. The northern tribes had been taken into exile into Assyria, a generation or two before Judah and Jerusalem were captured by the Babylonians. And as it was in those days when some emperor, some empire came and conquered an area, you take out a lot of the, the locals who were learned and, and uh, you know, the upper elite, you take them into exile, you leave some of the peasants to farm the land so you can take tribute, so it's still producing fruit for you, but you bring in people from another land who aren't rooted here and don't uh, claim it for their own, and you bring them in, and this is what ha had happened. A lot of the uh, northern tribes, there were peoples there that were left in the land to farm it, and they brought in peoples from other parts of the Assyrian Empire, and they mixed. They were a mixed race, half Jewish, half these other uh, tribe peoples from other lands. And this was the origins of the Samaritan people. They sort of developed their own religion. It was very much based on the law of Moses itself. 
and was it evolving like Talmudic Judaism evolved, even the or Pharisaic Judaism that Jesus found himself within that world when Jesus met the uh, woman at the well, a Samaritan woman. Uh, he loved her. He reached out to her. He preached the gospel of himself to her, but he did not ever affirm her uh, rival claim to worship, to be the right religion or whatever, uh, but he still loved her. And in this parable, the Good Samaritan, at the end of it, he asks, you know, who was the, the better neighbor? And the answer to the question, here's this Samaritan who helps this man who's uh, uh, robbed and beaten on the road down to Jericho, and he uh, and he helps him take him to an inn, uh, helps bind him up, bind up his wounds, tells the innkeeper whatever expenses you have, I'll come back later and pay it. And Jesus asks at the end, "Look, this is a you know a hated Samaritan, but wasn't he a better neighbor?" than even the priest or the Levite who went by. These were Jews who didn't help a fellow Jew, but a Samaritan did. And this is how he answers this question of, you know, this obligation, love your neighbor as yourself, where who's my neighbor? And he answers it with the parable of the Good Samaritan. So it's just not law of Moses, it's Jesus himself teaching kingdom values that uh, you know, we should reach out to other peoples and love them as well, and just not our own ethnic tribes and such. And I think it's a powerful lesson, and it is straight out of the law of Moses, this command to not only be kind to the stranger in your land, who, your stranger being your neighbor who may not be your ethnic identity, and not only you don't mistreat them, you don't oppress them, but you love them. And that is the whole action uh, carried out by the Good Samaritan. I would add that as Christians, why we uh, reach out uh, and, and help the uh, Israeli Arab community, that as Christians, we're called to a way of peace. This is 1 Corinthians 7.15. Paul says we are called to, to peace or to a way of peace. And Jesus says, we're, you know, encourages us to be peacemakers, that uh, they'll be called sons of God, and many other places that we're to try to be at peace with all men. And uh, so we have at the Christian Embassy sponsored many joint projects uh, over the years, projects that are aimed at uh, encouraging coexistence, reconciliation between Jews and Arabs here in the land, and especially among the younger generations. Uh, I tell you, some of them can really touch your heart where you're sponsoring field trips for a school for the blind where it's Jewish and Arab kids going together, or a school for the deaf, Jewish and Arab deaf children learning to live together and going out to uh, some school for the deaf uh, for Arabs in East Jerusalem, one in West Jerusalem, you, you do a joint field trip with them and teaching them to interact and love and be kind to each other uh, at a young age. And it's not just people with handicaps and disabilities like this, but just ordinary Israeli and Jewish children. We sponsored schools that are mixed Jewish Arab children trying to do things 
special for them to to really uh, encourage them and and reward them for trying to create an environment where they're living at peace together uh, in order to promote peaceful coexistence and mutual respect for each other. And uh, when we, you know, another biblical reason why we should be reaching out to the Arab people, I think it comes to us from the Hebrew prophets, uh, who uh, often you'll see them uh, uh, expressing a vision that one day there'll be reconciliation between Israel and the surrounding Arab countries. And a perfect example of this is Isaiah 19, which ends with uh, this work of God in the region where uh, he calls Egypt my people, Assyria the work of my hand, and Israel my inheritance, that these people these peoples, Egypt, Assyria, and Israel become a blessing in the midst of the earth. That there's peace and reconciliation, uh, such peace and reconciliation among them that it impacts the whole world. And of course, everyone's afraid of the Middle East blowing up and the Arab-Israeli uh, conflict, uh, the, you know, the Muslim claim to the Temple Mount and whatever could impact the whole world. But here, this vision is that one day it's going to be opposite. There'll be such peace and blessing. And, you know, I, I, I think... Uh, um, it may be a little too early to say the Abraham Accords are in this spirit, but there is a new spirit in the region of uh, acceptance, mutual respect, uh, normalization, trying to, instead of hating each other, let's normalize, let's, let's just have a normal uh, life and relationship with each other, trying to get to know each other better and see if we can't live together and do things better in the region. So Israel has these Abraham Accords with the United Arab Emirates, with Bahrain. Uh, now it's with Morocco. Of course, they've had peace with Egypt and Jordan. There's been a lot of uh, uh, elements in those countries, the trade unions, government leaders, others who don't want normalization with Israel, but there's a lot of Arabs who want it. And it's, you know, it just, uh, it's kind of strange for Israel to be reaching out to these other Arab countries and not seek and work for that reconciliation within their own boundaries. And so we see that, that, uh, that spirit, that effort to bring normalization and reconciliation between Jews and Arabs, not only between Israel and some of these uh, regional Arab countries, but within Israel itself, it seems like there's a new effort for the first time. There was an Arab party inside Israel's uh, coalition government. They had never done that before. Sometimes they might support a government or certain policies from outside a coalition, but never sitting at the cabinet table responsible for the decisions of the state. Some were saying, well, this was an Islamist party, uh, but even Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, uh, because of this political impasse we've been in here in Israel for several years, even he, to try and stay in power, was trying to work out a deal with the same Ra'am party, the same uh, Islamist party, 
that wants normalization. They're saying we want to become, you know, part of Israeli society. Uh, you can't exactly call them Zionists, but they've accepted that it's a Jewish state, and they they'll uh, they're trying to get things for their own people. And here you're reconciling with the Emiratis, with Abu Dhabi and Dubai and all, but not with your own people. Well, even Netanyahu was trying to do this and wasn't, uh, but wasn't successful at it and go to a new election. And it was uh, uh, not Bennett and Yair Lapid who brought this Arab party into a coalition. And I think overall, we could have some trouble with their policies, but overall, it was good for Israel, Israeli society, Israeli uh, political maturity that in an Arab party, it's 20% of the population. You just can't ban that, you know, uh, one fifth of the people from really having an active say in the future uh, of their country. And so I think overall it was, it, it was a good thing. Uh, and when we get into this uh, vision of Isaiah 19 and this uh, more of a spiritual reconciliation, a vision of uh, uh, a true peace, and really ultimately it's fulfilled in the messianic age. I have no doubt about that. But we all already see something happening that is quite remarkable, not only in the natural, not only in Israel's relations with these uh, um, uh, Arab countries, but in the spiritual, there, there, there's an uh, unusual and very exciting dynamic uh, of fellowship between Messianic Jews here in Israel and Arab believers in Israel and throughout the region. There's an increasing fellowship getting together to worship uh, Yeshua, the Lord, getting together to pray together, to fellowship, to get to know each other and such, and reconciling uh, all their differences in Messiah and Jesus. And a lot of these Arabs, we've met uh, Egyptian believers who celebrate a Passover Seder meal every year, just like I've come to do. I really enjoy the Passover Seder. I understand uh, what it means, the, the meal that Jesus had, the Last Supper with his disciples. It has so much more meaning as you go through a Passover Seder meal, where these are Egyptians who are sitting there celebrating the Israelites' delivery out of the land of Egypt from Pharaoh's hand and the oppression they went. And the, these are Arab believers who are, are, are uh, excited and wanting to do this, and they want to come and fellowship with Jewish believers in Yeshua here in the land of Israel. And this is something we can't ignore. This is something that as Christians we should be excited about. It is a first fruit of what God wants to do in the region. We know that there'll be a darkness before the dawning of the Messianic age, but this is a real light and ray of hope that there will be reconciliation. There will come that time when uh, uh, God says, uh, Egypt, my people, Assyria, the work of my hand, and Israel, my inheritance, a blessing in the midst of the earth. And it's wonderful to see that first fruit in these days and to be a part of it, really, uh, the Christian embassy trying to encourage this fellowship and reconciliation between Jews and Arabs and Messiah with us Gentiles also involved, the natural descendants of Abraham once again 
coming together, reconciling with our blessing around it in practical terms, why we support the Arab people uh, in Israel. Uh, look, they're citizens of the country. It's 20% of the population. They have the same right to vote as anyone else. It's a, a democracy here, and you can't deny them that place, and it's better to try and work and steer them in positive directions to be a part of the uh, Jewish democratic state, to accept that it's going to be Jewish, that uh, Israel is a safe haven for Jews from all around the world, and it needs to continue to be that, but that there's a place for the Arab people here as well. And uh, we recognize the, they're a fifth of the population in the land. And uh, so even though the vast majority of our social aid budget goes to uh, projects among the Jewish majority, we do have a good portion of our social aid that is directed towards the Arab sector and often in projects that brings the two people, Jews and Arabs, together. We do it to promote social cohesion and knowing that it strengthens Israel as a nation if they don't have to spend time and energy and resources dealing with ethnic clashes on their streets inside the country, like happened in May of last year. If you remember May of 2021, there was an 11-day rocket war between Hamas and Israel, and a lot of it was stirred by Iran. They were putting up fake videos of uh, Jews attacking Arabs or Arabs attacking uh, Orthodox Jews. It was fake videos, putting them off uh, to try and stir ethnic clashes on the streets of Israel. And we did have in Ramleh, uh near the airport in Akko and other areas, you had these instances where there uh, were these street clashes and violence between Jews and Arabs that hadn't been seen in a while, and probably the worst internal protests and rioting uh, of this nature in, in a couple generations. And it was very shocking for both communities, both the Jews and the Arabs, to see this. And there's been a lot of efforts already to try and turn this around, to try and work at you know, the roots of why that happened. And we don't want to ever see it happen again. And so uh, a lot of our, our aid budget is trying to help with that. Uh, many of our social aid programs uh, try to promote economic opportunity for the poor, just to help lift everyone in the nation to uh, bring as many as we can out of poverty. And unfortunately, many Israeli Arab families are stuck in poverty. The, the breadwinners in the families are, are working at jobs where they're underpaid. They tend to have a lot of children, big families and such. And so, uh, you know, this creates an environment uh, where a lot of these young Arab boys especially go into crime, violence, drugs. It can create civil unrest. And so we want to try and help these Arabs fit in with the Israeli mainstream and feel they're a part of the mainstream of, of Israel's culture and, and that in their identity, they're accepted here and help find ways to keep them out of, you know, being uh, kids on drugs or going into crime and such uh, that can lead to the sort of uh, street riots that we saw last year.
Uh, and again, the point that is, uh, it's an important point to make that often it is Israeli Jews who come to us uh, as the Christian embassy and say, can uh, you help us with this social project over here among the Arabs because they have problems there. We don't want those problems to leak over into our neighborhoods. We want to go help them, lift them up and such. And so it's Israeli Jews coming to us, regularly asking us to give, uh, to support Arab uh, projects for Arab citizens, to give them a better chance to succeed. And one of these projects again, was this uh, computer coding course, a special uh, course where uh, Arab students, promising Arab students, were given a chance to study extra uh, for free scholarships to go and study computer programming in order to break in and, and find jobs, get good job placement in Israel's high tech industry. Uh, 3% of, of the high-tech uh, employees were Arab, even though they're 20% of the population. There's something uh, off or wrong there. A lot of these uh, young Israeli Arabs were trying to go into computer science, computer programming, and other courses, but because they didn't know Hebrew so well, weren't used to Israeli mainstream culture, the Jewish culture, uh, were from poor families, you had a lot of high dropout rates in some of the schools that teach these courses that get you entry into the high-tech industry. 15% uh, of the students were Arabs at the start of these programs, these courses, and yet uh, only 3% wind up with, with jobs in the high-tech industry. And this program that is now, it was a pilot program that we sponsored that is now going to be used around the country. And there's like Intel and uh, all these big global uh, companies here, the big high-tech giants. They all have R&D, research and development uh, offices here and, and uh, huge uh, departments and they are also looking for Arab employees. They want to give an equal opportunity there. And so we're helping to sponsor these promising young students in this program to select Arab students who need help to uh, afford it and, and who are, show a lot of potential. And they're already, we've already graduated that first class and they've already been placed in good jobs. And we're very excited about that. And I think uh, we also need to remember that Israel is constantly badgered and defamed for being an apartheid state, and that it's discriminatory towards the Arabs and, and uh, doesn't treat them fairly. Uh, and even we as Christians who support Israel, who support Israel as a Jewish state, and all we're often accused of being racist towards the Arabs because we, we seem to be indifferent to them and to their plight or whatever. And we know that's not the case as a ministry. We have a long track record of reaching out to the Arabs, uh, Arab community here in Israel uh, to promote peace, reconciliation, and help them get out of poverty and help with their social needs. And we know Israel isn't an apartheid state that the Arabs are treated fairly. They do have democratic rights. There's Arabs who sit on the Supreme Court. There's been Arab uh, uh, Miss Israels, uh, 
Arabs serving on the, like the national soccer team and in basketball, they have equal opportunity in these areas. Uh, and Arabs uh, representing Israel in the Eurovision contest, that's huge if you're in this European cultural bubble and all. And so, uh, you know, there's a lot of effort among Israelis themselves uh, and a lot of debate here. There was uh, just, I think, last year or so, there's a um, an Israeli Arab woman who's one of the main news anchors on nightly TV. And I think um, a, a, an Israeli Jewish man, young man who's in like a pop, very popular soap opera, he's like the most handsome, the, the Richard Gere of Israel. And he falls in love with this Arab anchor woman, news woman. And they have this relationship, going to get married and all. And it was a huge debate in, in Israel here about whether they should even, uh, you know, get married. But I think, you know, especially among the younger people and mainstream culture here, it wasn't as much of, of a problem. And I think Israel is making progress in these areas. But, you know, to call Israel an apartheid state, we know it's wrong when it comes to the Palestinians it is a purely, uh, I, I believe that it is uh, by and far largely a, uh, a security issue. It has to do with making sure everyone, not only Jews, but Israeli Arabs are secure from terrorist attack. And even the Arabs of Israel for accepting Israel and becoming a part of, of Israel, they're often accused by some of these Arab terrorists uh, as as being collaborators like Iran or Hezbollah and, and Hamas, they don't care if they go into a restaurant, a suicide bomber, and they're looking at Arabs and Jewish families sitting there dining together. These Arabs are collaborators and they blow themselves up knowing half their victims are Arabs. But we know that Israeli culture is trying to be more inclusive and acceptive and tolerant and embraceive and, and more harmony between Jews and, and Arabs here. And uh, we want to be a part of it. This is, you know, part of the fruit of living here in the land for all these years. Uh, for, uh, the embassy has been here for 40 years. I've lived here for 25 years. I saw early on God's love for the Arab people. And I can, uh, you know, uh, still see even more now the reasons why uh, as Christians we should be reaching out to the Jewish people, the Arab people, even as we follow our, our mandate and our calling to be a ministry of comfort to Israel and the Jewish people. So we want to see Israel strengthened and preserved as a Jewish state, uh, and we do have this primary mandate to be a ministry of comfort to Israel and the Jewish people. Uh, but the Arab people are an integral part of Israeli society as well. They need to, to feel that, and they need to feel that acceptance from Christians as well. And so for all these reasons, we are proactively reaching out to the uh, Arab community in Israel with a sincere witness of Christian love and, and, and care and concern. And we think overall it benefits the nation of Israel. It benefits the Jewish people if they're living in harmony and peace with their Arab neighbors. And I, I tell you, I see it uh, uh, 
uh, every day here in Jerusalem, there are agitators who come and try and stir up troubles. But by and, and large, for the most part, the vast majority of Jews and Arabs in this city, and it's it's a city of it's Israel's largest city, a million people up here in these hills, this hilltop city of Jerusalem, that it's 600,000 uh, Jews, 400 some thousand Arabs. It's not quite half and half. Uh, if you include Bethlehem, Ramallah, it's almost half and half Jewish Arab up here in these hills in and around Jerusalem. And somehow everyone gets gets along together every day. And I just noticed that um, uh, ordering a, a, a hamburger in the mall next door yesterday that here walks by a Jewish family with a kippah and here walks by a Muslim family, the women in their headdress, and they're just out shopping you know, at the same Nike store together and eating at the uh, Aroma coffee shop, which I think Aroma is one of Israel's best um, chain restaurant exports. Uh, the, it's got good coffee, better than Starbucks or whatever. And I think they've even exported it. They've set up some Aroma chains in the U.S. or elsewhere. And I think there were Arabs involved in, in the whole founding of that coffee chain. And uh, so it's 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 an area that it, that is changing. We hope those of you who are supporting the Christian embassy that you understand why we're reaching out to the Arabs. We think it's for the best of the whole country, and we think it's even commanded of God that we we reach out to to the stranger and be kind to them and even love them to love our neighbor, as Jesus said in this parable of the Good Samaritan. So we want to bless you from Jerusalem here on the ICEJ weekly webinar. We hope, uh, hope you've enjoyed this teaching and uh, that you continue to support our projects that reach out to not only the Jews, but the Arabs of the land. Uh, make sure to join us next week here on the ICEJ weekly webinar. And of course, next Wednesday at 4 p.m., we have the global prayer gathering where we'll gather together intercessors from all over the world together to pray for Israel, the region, and for your nation, for God, a mighty move of God there as well. God bless you from Jerusalem.